guys know by this point that there are times that I can become an emotional basket case. And there are some ways that our time together today will be just that. But there's just also such a great hope. And there's such great joy when a beloved saint who has fought and who has devoted her life to loving and serving the Lord, there's just such joy when that faith becomes sight. There's such hope for us who remain because we press on. We have a prize. We have a God whose grace is sufficient and perfected in our weakness. We have a God who is faithful whose mercies are new every morning. We have a God who does not leave us to our own strength because, dear friends, our strength is so failing. We're so weak. We're so feeble. If it were not for the Lord's grace and purpose and intention None of us would have woken up today. But we did. Because the Lord has work for us to do. Our race is not yet over. Our course is not yet complete. We are not yet fitted for heaven. You may want to be, I know I want to be, but we're not there yet. As long as the Lord gives you breath, or as long as Jesus Christ tarries in his return, dear saints, we must be about the business of the Lord. So it was about Friday afternoon, um, Around lunchtime that I kind of realized that the study in Nahum was going to have to take a pause. And obviously with everything that we have encountered the past couple of days that didn't leave a lot of time to prepare something new and fresh. But in a way, as I was telling a couple brothers earlier, there's been 14 months leading up to this. There's been, in my life, 18 years of walking with the Lord that lead up to it's times when what we share together with one another is the overflow of the work that the Lord has done in our lives. And so as one of your pastors, as one of your shepherds and elders, it's kind of my desire today is just to share with you a, a word from the Lord that I hope and pray encourages you, challenges you, 
exhorts you, causes you to long for heaven, to long to go to be with Christ, but that also puts steel in your spine and wells up in you devotion to live the rest of your days wholeheartedly sold out for Christ. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26 is where we'll kind of turn our attention this morning. And really what we see here is the Christian's divergent desires. Paul sets forth for us here his desire to go and be with the Lord, while he also has a desire to remain and keep about the Lord's work and the Lord's business. Context on either side of, of this passage leading up to it, verses 12 through 20 of chapter 1, is Paul talking about his immense sufferings for the sake of the gospel. Then you're probably familiar with Philippians chapter 2, where Paul shifts this focus to calling the saints to walk in the way that Christ walked, to put on the humility in which Christ walked, to walk in submission and obedience to the Father, to love one another, to be of one mind and one accord. He tells them, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. So this is either side of the passage that we'll look at. Immense suffering and the call to living for Christ. Let's read this text, and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time together today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. Would you please stand with me as we read the Lord's word together? This word is holy and inerrant, is inspired by God, and it's profitable for our correction, for our reproof, and for our training in righteousness. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming again to you. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. You may be seated. Would you join me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is with heavy and burdened hearts that we come before you today. But it's also with hearts that are overjoyed 
because of the hope of the gospel of Christ. Lord, we praise you as the God who is sovereign over all things. Lord, you've created the world and all things that are in it. All things are in submission to you. You do and accomplish exactly what you please, exactly what fits into your eternal purpose to glorify your great name. Lord, we are so thankful that we can rest and trust in your providence. We're so thankful that you give us the promises that you work all things together for the good of those of us who are called according to your purpose in Christ. All things for our good and for your glory. Lord, on, on one hand, it is a triumphant hope that we have. But on the other, Lord, it's utter brokenness. Sorrows that are so deep. Lord, it's a weightiness that's hard to bear that we could not bear in our own strength. So how we thank you for grace. How we thank you for mercies that are new every morning. How we thank you for an unshakable hope. Lord, I pray as we Turn to your word. I pray that whatever is spoken would be clear and, and from you. I pray that your spirit would move powerfully in and among us as your people. Lord, we need to be encouraged. We need to be pressed on. We need to be lifted up. We need sorrows to be comforted. We need the shout of joy to come in the morning. Lord, we also need to be corrected. We need to be shown how much greater our devotion to Christ can be. Lord, we must understand that as long as you leave us in this flesh, that there is work to be accomplished for your purposes and for your kingdom. So, Lord, that is my prayer today, that you would write your word upon our hearts such that we are comforted. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who is the comforter. I also pray that you would write your word upon our hearts such that we are sanctified, conformed to the image of Christ, made more like our Savior, and set on a path to complete more work for his sake. Thank you, Lord, for Christ. Thank you for his blood. Thou shed at the cross to cover our sins. Thank you that he was raised from the grave, showing that he has defeated the power of sin and death. I thank you that he ever lives to intercede on our behalf 
before the throne of the Most High God. I thank you, Lord, that one day we will be like him as we'll see him as he is. Until that day, wean us from the cares and concerns of the world. Lord, would you make us more like Christ? Lord, I thank you for my beloved mother-in-law. Thank you for her life. Thank you for her love for Christ. Thank you for the example that she set for each of us. Pray, Lord, that you would bless our time this morning. Pray that you would be glorified by it. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So as I began to, to think through this text before us, I, of course, turned to the Scriptures Read, read the passage a few times over, and then after that, I immediately turned to John MacArthur's sermon because I knew I could get 30 minutes of reading to give me a good overview and understanding of this text. And really, I'm not going to, I don't think, use a whole lot from what he said in the message, but his introduction, I thought, was fitting. He introduced this text talking about the, the great missionary, and I always struggle to say his name, Adoniram Judson. He, he began talking about this man. He was one of the first missionaries sent out from the Americas. He, he went to the people of Burma, which was a difficult place to minister. Difficult being a, an utter understatement. And he went there, and Judson's life was full of sorrow and heartache. In difficulty. In the first 14 years of his ministry, he had nothing effectively to show from it from the human perspective. He had lost his wife. He had buried a number of his children. He had been imprisoned. He had had his life threatened. He contracted diseases of a very dangerous nature. Yet this man was faithful. He, he did, it seems, go through a period of depression. He, he removed himself from society, many thinking that he would never come again, probably to be eaten by an animal in the jungle. But the Lord spared his life, renewed his spirit, and he came back and he picked up the work. Judson is quoted to have said, If I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. If I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Context of Philippians 1, 21 through 26 is suffering. Suffering for the sake of 
the gospel, for the sake of the work of the Lord. Paul is writing to show how he is hard-pressed on either side. He is squeezed and constrained. I think this is a desire that many of us understand so well in this moment, in these days. Paul says, I want to go and be with Christ. That's his desire. That was his Lord, the one for whom he had given his life. He says, I want to go be with Christ, but I'm hard-pressed because I want to remain, because I want to continue in the work that the Lord has brought me to. So as we think about that, there's two really points to consider there. The gain of death and the labor of of life. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, if I remain on in the flesh, it will be fruitful labor for me. But I desire to go be with Christ because that is very much better. The gain of death and the labor of life. Paul begins by saying it's very much better to go and be with Christ. Very much better. Paul often would invent words almost if, if he could not come up with a word to, to make his point. But in this instance, he didn't. He just stacks these words, literally three words in the Greek on top of each other. Very much better. It's so much better. It's of greatest value to Paul to depart, and to go be with Christ. And just as that point is made, I do want to highlight that while that is very much better and that is the ultimate goal, Paul also says, I'm hard-pressed. I don't know which to choose. I want to go be with Christ, but I want to remain with the saints in the work of ministry for the sake of the Lord. Does your life, dear saint, does it show that you're hard-pressed to go and be with Christ? Does it show that your mind and your heart says that it is very much better to lay aside this earthly dwelling and to put on immortality so that you can be with the Savior? That's not your desire, dear friend. Perhaps you should glimpse more at the Savior. Perhaps you should know more fully the depth of your sin, the depth of fullness of cleansing that you need to go to eternity. Because when we start to understand just a hint of our sinfulness, when you understand just a hint of the fallenness of the world, Dear friend, you want to go be with Christ. So is that your desire? I have a simple, one simple question that I would like to answer under this heading, the gain of death. Why is death gain? 
for the believer. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So why is death gain? And why is departing the earth very much better? I just sat down and and wrote out, uh, I've got a list of of seven things, seven things that just kind of came to mind, truths of Scripture, why it is better to go be with the Lord. Number one, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, says that when that happens, the perishable will put on the imperishable. To be perishable is to be that which is liable to decay. It's very much better to go be with the Lord because you will not be breaking down and decaying anymore. It's a result of the fall. When sin entered the world, so did death and so did sickness. Sickness has claimed the life of a dear loved one within the last, I don't know, 15 hours. Her decaying body, her perishable body, has gone to be with the Lord and put on the imperishable. That which is not subject to decay. That which will not break down and be overcome with sickness. Dear friends, that's why it's better to go and be with the Lord. Staying in that same verse, 1 Corinthians 15 54, Paul then says that the mortal will put on immortality. The perishable will be replaced with imperishable, and the mortal will put on immortality. Mortal means subject to death. So it's a a similar idea to perishable, but, but it's different. It's not just decay, it's death. It's better to go be with the Lord because when we go to the Lord, our mortal bodies are done away with, and our soul puts on immortality. We are no longer subject to death. We are no longer fighting against what is the natural outworking of sin in this life and in this world. When you ask, why is it very much better to go and be with the Lord? Dear friend, it's because you will be immortal. You do not then have to look to a death ever coming again because you enter eternity. Your soul lasts for the rest of eternity. And if you're in Christ, dear friend, that eternity is heaven. It's glory. It's perfect worship. Number three, why is it better to go to be with the Lord? I mentioned this at some point a few moments ago. It's because we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. 1 John 3 verse 2 says that we will be like him because we see him. The veil that covers our eyes to, to allow us not to see the fullness and the greatness of the glory of Christ, that veil is gone. We see the glory of Christ. Dear friends, we walk this world longing to behold his glory. We ought to be like Moses on the mountain when he says, Lord, I pray you, show me your glory. That ought to be your desire in this life. And it's better 
If that's your desire, it's better to go be with the Lord because you'll be like him. Because you'll see him as he is. Let me just pause there and remind us all, if you're going to be like him, because you're going to see him as he is, should not that be the aim of your life today? If we're running toward this ultimate prize of glory, why do we let ourselves be weighed down by sin, by things of this world that are so fleeting and so passing? Why do you give yourself to temptation? Because going to be with Christ is very much better because you'll be like Him. And if that's very much better, that ought to be our goal and our aim in life. Number four, very much better to go to heaven because we will experience the eternal weight of glory that the afflictions of our life have prepared for us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Momentary light afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Dear friends, we must, by the grace of the Lord and in the power of His Spirit, we must have strong backs as trials come. It's the Lord's grace at work in us that gives us the strength to stand. But dear friend, do you see that it's very much better to go to heaven because all of the glory that the Lord has in store as we bear up under difficulties, all of that glory becomes reality. So dear friend, as you are under trial, as you are under affliction, as you face whatever difficulty, and the Lord sends various trials. It doesn't just have to be sickness and death. The Lord sends all kinds of trial. And as you are under the weight of trial, dear friend, think about the eternal weight of glory. Stand firm. Remain. Walk in the strength that God supplies and long for heaven. Number five, we desire to go to heaven because when we do, we will have the full experience of being a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have been made new. Dear friend, when you go to heaven you experience the fullness of being new in Christ. You experience foretaste of that when the Lord grants victory over sin and how sweet the taste of victory over sin and conformity to Christ is. But dear friend, we long for heaven because then you will taste the fullness of being new in Christ. There will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. 
Number six, long for heaven, because as the Lord makes clear in Revelation 21, verse 4, when we go to heaven, every pain, every sorrow, and every tear will be wiped away. Do you consider the glory of having every sorrow washed away because you are complete in Christ? Because the presence of His glory just outshines all the hardship of life. Maybe your trial is physical pain. The pain is wiped away in glory. Sorrows can come in so many forms. Sin should make us sorrowful. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And even the sorrow of sin will be wiped away by the Lord in glory. Have the desire to depart and be with Christ because that is very much better. Number seven, last thing we'll consider here, seventh reason why going to be in heaven with the Lord is very much better is because we will experience the fullness of eternal life and unhindered communion with the Lord. Think about John 17, the, the prayer of our Savior. Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You don't know the fullness of that eternal life until glory. We, we love John 17 because it's this picture into the heavenlies of the perfect communion of the Father and the Son. Dear friend, we experience communion with the Father and the Son and the Spirit by the working of the Spirit today, but the fullness thereof comes in heaven, comes in eternity. So death, dear friend, for the one who is in Jesus Christ, death is gain. And before I move forward, I do want to mention that if you're not in Jesus Christ, death is ultimate loss. Okay, I, I want to be encouraging. I think this is a time ordained by the Lord to uplift the body of Christ. But how we would be remiss at this point to not consider that death is gain for the believer, but it's ultimate loss if you are not in Christ. If you have not come to Christ in faith and repentance, if you've not believed in his work upon the cross whereby he was the substitute for your sin, literally your sin was placed upon him, he bore its wrath from the Father, 
He died on that cross. He was raised from the grave on the third day. And that is the work in which we believe. And you believe and you confess your sin. You repent. You turn from your wicked ways. You give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord. If you do that, death is gain. So Paul clearly desires to go and be with the Lord. But he's convinced that he must press on. He says, if I live on in the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me. I don't know which one to choose. Now we can pause there. And the Apostle Paul knows that he doesn't have a choice in this matter. The Lord is sovereign and ordered all of his days. He says, if it's up to me, I don't know which one to choose because got all these reasons to go and be with my Savior. But if I remain, must mean fruitful labor. To remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So we've seen the gain of death. Now what about the labor of life? Because we are all still here. If we remain in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. What does fruitful labor look like? Uh, I'll give you one that Paul gives kind of as a general term, and then we can also see a little bit of specificity here as well. Fruitful labor looks like Christ. For me, to live is Christ. And I, I think I'm correct that that word is, is kind of inferred in from the translator. Really what Paul writes is, for me, to live, Christ. If I live, Christ. If I live, all that you should see in me is Christ. To live equals Christ and his purposes and his glory. What does it look like if you say to live is Christ? Think about the immediate context here into chapter 2. It's humility, obedience, and submission. Jesus Christ, eternally God, took on human form. He set aside all the privileges that were his as God and came and subjected himself to his creation. Ultimate humility. He learned obedience, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility, obedience, and submission to the will of God. Fruitful labor, as long as the Lord leaves us on this earth, cannot be separated from those three attributes, those three character traits, those three acts, humility, obedience, and submission. What also marked the life of our Savior? We talked about John 17 a moment ago. 
What marked the life of our Savior was communion with the Father. And while sin still hinders that communion for us, do you realize, dear friend, that we should pursue to the utmost to commune with the Lord? I don't intend to make this a, a eulogy or anything, but that was one of the things that so marked Daphne's life that left such an indelible mark on her beloved daughter and on me and on many who knew her was how she communed with the Lord, how she devoted herself to prayer and to the scriptures and just to being with the Lord. That is fruitful labor, dear friends. To live as Christ. Christ lived in perfect communion with his Father. Fruitful labor to be like Christ. I'm going to juxtapose kind of two ideas here. It means to be gentle and lowly. It means to be bold and truthful. And you can find the full of that statement in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I'll read for you, you can follow along, verses 20 through 30. The idea of being like Christ and being gentle and lowly, yet being bold and truthful, so we don't, we don't fall off the ditch on either side. Matthew 11, verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Teresan! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Bold and truthful. Let's continue reading. At that time, at that time, right after saying this, at that time, Jesus said, Praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Again, that probably falls under the heading of bold and truthful. But then look at verse 28. Come to me. Again, there's, there's no breaks. There's no breaks here. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dear friends, if there's one takeaway from this portion of considering what it means for fruitful labor. I think the Lord would intend for us to understand this coupled idea 
that you can't just be gentle and lowly. You can't just be bold and truthful. For to be like Christ is to carry both hand in hand at all times. John MacArthur said, Life is summed up as Christ. He said, I'm filled with Christ. I'm occupied with Christ. I trust Christ. I love Christ. I hope in Christ. I obey Christ. I preach Christ. I follow Christ. I fellowship with Christ. Christ is the center circumference of my life. It's all Christ. Christ and Christ alone is my inspiration, my direction, my meaning, my purpose. Consumed, dominated by Christ. To live is Christ. To walk in fruitful labor means to live is Christ. Spurgeon said it this way. He said to live as Christ means to know Christ more, to imitate Christ more, to preach Christ more, and to enjoy Christ more. It's a succinct way to put it, to know Christ more, to imitate him more, to preach him more, and to enjoy him more. To live is Christ. The last thing I would mention Back to our text in Philippians chapter 1. is: Do you see the, the hint and, and the idea in Paul's writing that this is not merely a, a personal, one-on-one, me and Jesus type of relationship? For him to remain on in the flesh, for him to live being Christ, for him to walk in fruitful labor is a communal work with local churches, with fellow saints. To remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming again to you. What is his goal? It's the building up of the saints their progress, and their joy in the faith. You say, what progress? He doesn't tell us. Well, he told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, he said that he needs to be absorbed in his ministerial work, in his holy, exemplary life, so that, Paul said, your progress will be evident to all. What's the progress on Paul's, on Paul's mind in Philippians 1? It's the progress in holiness. It's the sanctifying effect of the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God, whereby the saints of God are conformed to the image of the Son of God. Godliness is profitable. It's a means of great gain. Means of great eternal gain. And godliness, dear friend, produces joy. One way that you will never be able to have joy in trials is if you don't walk with the Lord and if you're not being conformed to the image of Christ. If you're not being sanctified, godliness cannot produce the effect of joy. Paul's ultimate goal was that the Philippians' proud confidence would be in Christ. That their boasting would be 
in Christ, that their boast in Christ would increase because he remains on in the flesh. Our duty, dear friends, is to boast in Christ, to live as Christ, to die as Cain, to die is to go and be with the Lord, it's to be clothed in immortality, to be made perfect, to worship, to never again fight sin and temptation. To go and be with the Lord, dear friend, is very much better. And so we ought to take joy in that. That's why we take joy in the Lord's statement that precious in the sight of God are the death of his godly ones. Because they are experiencing the very much better. But as we remain, as Christ tarries and as the Lord gives us life, there is a fruitful labor to be about. Dear friend, take an inventory of your life. What wasteful, meaningless things do you devote time and energy and devotion and attention to. Friend, we should all be able to say with the apostle, to live is Christ. Final question I'll ask is where are your desires? Where are your desires and what are you doing with the time the Lord gives you? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May the Lord write that word upon our hearts. May he indeed put strength in our stride. And as we sing, may he give us grace for every hurdle so that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant, good and faithful. Dear friend, long for heaven. Strive toward heaven, but let that striving be as you are being conformed to Christ and giving everything you have to honor and glorify Christ and to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. For he's worthy. He is worthy. Let's pray.